Well, good evening. Good evening and happy Mother's Day. It's such an honor to be able to uh, just open God's word and bring encouragement tonight to those of our moms. I want to give a special shout out to all the dads who are serving with all of the children. It's nice and quiet in here. And there's dad's heart at work. I wish we had a video cam of that and we could sneak a peek on what's happening. Um, but I also, before we get started, I just want to welcome um, Forrest and Hannah, our missionaries to China, our home. And wave your hands. So we just want to welcome them back. They've spent uh, six months over in China, and we're just excited that they're back in a new season. Ten months. Okay, ten. Who's counting? Wow. Went fast. And um, I also just want to uh, just uh, welcome my mom and dad. They surprised me tonight. They're my biggest fans, and so they're here, my mom. You know, she, she I, thought, I was thinking, what can I say about my mom? Because there's so much. But obviously, the thing I can say the most is that she instilled a love for God's word and the revelation that it is the handbook for life and where we find our answers. And so, Mom, thank you for that. Um, so I, I love getting to share on Mother's Day because I get to avoid everybody else in the room and just talk to my girlfriends. And so, no, I'm just kidding. God's truth is timeless, right, regardless of life role. But um, I am excited to bring encouragement to our moms from God's Word. He's so good at doing that. One of the things I was thinking about, what is one of the coolest things, one of the most fun things about being a mom in my own mothering journey has been for sure the, the joy and adventure of figuring out who these little people are, right? That, that when they hand you this baby, you're, you're head over heels in love with them, but you have no flipping idea who they are, right? They are a stranger to you. And those first couple of years of parenting, I think, are so fun at so many levels, but one of the coolest things is like figuring out the unique personality and the unique character qualities of that child. I have such distinct memories of each of my three kids of kind of those light bulb moments where you're like, oh, that's going to be part of who they are. Oh, they're a real person. Do you ever have that thought as a mom? Like, oh, they're really a person? This is so exciting. Um, I think about Derek. He was probably not even two years old. He was the only one, so he had to be two or younger. And I remember putting him in his car seat and saying, we're going to go have lunch with Daddy. And he probably had his pacifier in his mouth. And here, you know, what I didn't inform him at 18 months old, 20 months old, was that we were going to, you know, swing through the post office on the way. Well, little did I know that he was a kid who would need that detail. And I'll never forget, as we were driving, looking in the rearview window at his sweet little face and him taking his pacifier out and being like, in his broken, you know, but really good verbal skills at that age, hey, mom, why are we going this way? You told me we're going to daddy's office. This isn't the way to daddy's office. And, it, and I just remember thinking, aren't you pooping and peeing on yourself right now in a diaper? Like, why are you telling me that you are so smart? And so I learned that day, this is insight into my baby. He's a rule follower. He wants to know the details. He is smarter than me. That was definitely a moment. Um, I think about Ethan. He was, I remember um, so many times, you know, very clear standards in our home of what we expected for our kids. We worked really hard on first-time obedience and, and, and the kids understanding that the consequences were the same and the ball being in their court for the decisions they made. And I just remember when he was like two years old, like it's like I could literally see his wheels turning. And he would, he would look at the crime, the thing he wanted to do. He would look at me 
And he would like weigh the consequences of committing the crime. I remember telling Fred, we may be raising a felon. I'm a little concerned. And he would often make the right choice, but sometimes he would not. And he knew it, and he did it like knowingly. And I just remember thinking, who is this little person? And he is to this day. He is my cost-benefit analysis boy. He's going to make his mama a lot of money and take care of her when he is older. He is my economist. And, and I just, that, that was insight into how to raise him and how to capture his heart for the Lord. And then I think of Claire, uh, a moment that I'll never forget. My sweet, little, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, pigtails, right, juicy, delicious little girl. And she's on my hip, and she's, you know, unfortunately the third child, but the personality of a first, so I always felt a little bad for her. Um, but I remember one day, you know, she was here, and, and she would grab my face and kept, you know, Mama, Mama. And she would get my attention, and she put a little finger out, and she said, Mama, you no say no to me. Can I have candy? Like she would tell me that and then ask me something. Mama, you know say no to me. Can I have some soda? And I just remember thinking, what? She is so determined and she has an inner strength and she was focused and she knew what she wanted. And just they're hilarious to talk about now. It's slightly frightening when they happened. But, you know, this idea of just discovering the uniqueness of who these kids are, who these people are. And do you know, for the, in the same way, our Heavenly Father delights in the uniqueness of each one of us. He has taken great pains in, dis, in, in, in coming into a relationship with you where he delights over the uniqueness of who you are. God completely understands who you are, which I love about our Heavenly Father. He gets you more than anyone will ever get you. He knows the entirety of your story He's been there for every moment. Do you ever really stop and think about that? He's been there in your most triumphant moments. He's been there in your most victorious moments. He's been there in your most vulnerable of moments. He's been in the room. He's watched it happen. Not just your social media moments, right? But for real, those moments that when they happen, they impact you and they shape you and they stay with you and they build your filter on how you view life. God gets the uniqueness of who you are. In Jeremiah 1.4 it says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Psalm 139, if you want to read about this, is so beautiful. I'm going to read several scriptures from that chapter here, which are really mind-boggling when we just stop to think about it. Psalmist writes, You, Lord, alone created my inner being. You knitted me together inside of my mother. I will give thanks to you because I have been so amazingly and miraculously made. Your works are miraculous and my soul is fully aware of this. In verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life has been laid out before a single day had even passed. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I'm traveling. You see me when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. So here's the truth. There is a uniqueness to you that only God fully knows. 
And in response, there is a uniqueness in the way that he loves you. There is a custom-tailored love, not a one-size-fits-all, but a custom-tailored to fit you because he's been there every moment of your life kind of love that he comes alongside of each one of us with. And with that comes an equipping and comes a revelation of some things about ourselves that we can take that begin to instruct our mothering. I believe is an outflow of God's unique love for, one of, for each one of us. We can understand more fully and walk in these truths that we are both uniquely equipped, we are uniquely designed, and you are, we are uniquely positioned. And those are the things that I want us to unpack out of God's word tonight to help us not just know God loves us, but to take his love and begin to let it saturate who we are so it begins to instruct how we mother and how we behave and how we make decisions. Can we just pray for a quick moment? Father, I just thank you. Lord, that you stand outside of time. And Father, that you have orchestrated every detail of each life here. And for each mother, God, you know the details of her journey intimately. And you tonight have words of hope and life and encouragement for each mom. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do. To come and meet the need of each mom here in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uniquely equipped as a result of God's beautiful love for us. We are uniquely equipped for what he's called us to do. Now, I don't know anything else that has made me feel more ill-equipped than becoming a parent. Do I have any hands? Yes. Like, when you come home from the hospital and there's no one wearing a badge and a uniform any longer, you look around, at least this happened to me, and you begin to look for the user manual that came with the child. Yes? You're like... I thought I was prepared. I have good examples. I've read books. I've put in my due diligence. No matter how much you've done that, when you bring that baby home from the hospital, there is nothing more daunting than loving that child and realizing that their sole survival is based on you and that you want them not just to survive but to thrive in life. And all of a sudden you start asking these questions and you begin to realize that that 1-800 customer service number that does not exist, that you need it, right? You need help. You need equipping. I'll never forget, and I may have told this story before, it's, I'm still in therapy for it, but um, I'll never forget, you know, realizing that I had to, like, actually leave the building with two kids. You know, I was outnumbered now once I had my second. And um, Fred was on staff at our church in Richmond. And so it was my goal that day to leave and go to church and have everyone fed and bathed and no one crying for a few minutes. And, 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 and we would kind of look like we had it together. Jen, thanks for laughing. Um, and so I just, that feeling of just there's two of them and they both have needs and, you know, all of that. And so I, I, I'll never forget um, bathing the boys together and then taking Ethan. He was a brand new infant, just a few weeks old, and leaving Derek in the tub and talking to him because he was going to be out of sight. I wanted to make sure he didn't die and drown. You know, so stepping in. Every good mother does this, okay? You talk to your two-year-old really loud to make sure that they're not drowning while you're pampering the baby around the corner on the changing table. And having the thought, I've got this. I think we're on the path to everyone being bathed and fed and dressed. We're on, on track. And, and I'm talking to Derek, and all's good, and lotioning Ethan and getting him dressed and hoisting Ethan off the changing table. 
and stepping out into the hallway, and on my freshly laid white Berber carpet, somehow in that short span of time, Derek had had a bowel movement while talking. He had decided to play with it and throw it into the hallway, out of the tub. And I, I was like this confident, I got this, we're going to make this happen. Oh my gosh, I'm in the weeds. There's no hope. And God, I, have, I need your equipping now, yesterday, and I need it now. And so I realized how desperately I needed God's equipping in a funny way. But how many of us have had those moments where you face something and you're like, God, I need your equipping now. As a result of God's unique love for us, I believe that he has uniquely equipped us. And one of the things that I can realize when I understand that I'm uniquely equipped is that I realize that I have all of the tools that I need for the job. Not because I have this amazing toolbox that I went and got, right? But because of my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I know for myself personally that I've had to learn how to use the tools that God has. So many times I've said, God, I wish you would just like give me the tools in a suitcase, right? Labeled with like instructions for this season or, or maybe a toolkit for the month or a toolkit for the year or a toolkit for how to parent a toddler or how to parent three teenagers. That'd be really great. Um, so, you know, but, but what I've learned is that God's equipping, God's toolbox comes actually day by day. But my decision to seek God for his wisdom and for his ability and for his equipping for that day. God promises everything that we need for life and godliness, but it doesn't come packaged ahead of time. And that kind of, as a planner, I'm kind of annoyed by that. I'm going to talk to God about it. But I've had to accept while I'm here that that's what he's decided, and so I'm submitting to it for now. And so what I've had to learn is that I have to make time for that. I would like to get it in doses. I would like an Amazon subscription to God's tools. You know, they would show up for the month, you know. Does anyone use a subscription service on Amazon? I mean, hello, okay, you're dumb that you don't. Um, if you don't, there's three of you that do. Um, it's great. If you do more than five items, you get a 15% discount. So um, you can put my name in, and then I think I get a discount. But, um, you know, like stuff you use regularly can just show up on your door. I feel like God's equipping should be that way. And what I've come to realize is that God's equipping, he doesn't just want to equip me. That he is a jealous God. And he, that means that he's actually jealous for the affections of my heart. He wants time with me. So in his divinely orchestrated plan, he's created it such that I need to pause life and I need to come to him every day. And he then is faithful to give me what I need for that day. And it's awesome. He wants me to actually have a sense of needing him that reminds me and drives me to seek his face. And I love that. There is, the, the great news about this is that there's equipping for tomorrow that I haven't received today. And if you're a planner, you're already looking at this week, right? You've already got things going on and you're thinking about it. And what I have come to learn is that in God's amazing, intimate, and unique love for me, that his equipping, that it's more than enough. The Bible even goes so far to say, don't worry about tomorrow, right? Because today has enough trouble of its own. But that I will be faithful to give you what you need for today. And then tomorrow, I will be faithful to give you what you need for tomorrow. We, though, have to do the part of coming to him and seeking him. 
And how do we do that? That's a sermon for another day, but we talk about it here all the time, those 12 pathways of worship and prayer and Bible reading and fellowship and serving and gathering and accountability and fasting. I always want to leave that one out. And all of the other ones that are there that I am actively pursuing, putting the tools in the tool belt that God has for my life to work. The other thing that happens when I understand that I am uniquely equipped is that I am able to respond to the challenges of mothering with an authority that comes from God, not an authority that comes from me having been here before. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't have to cower back in fear, but because I know that God has equipped me and he's giving me tools for the job, even if it's brand new, I can walk in an authority that if I find myself in this place in mothering, if I find myself in this place with my child, that I can operate from a place of authority knowing that God has my back and I'm not here by mistake. I begin to realize that this, whatever your this is, this is what I was created for. And this is huge in mothering because I don't know about you, but every season of being a mom, as soon as I feel like I get the hang of that season, my kids change. Darn it, they grow, right? They keep feeding them and they keep growing and developing and they change and they go into a new season. And so I keep finding myself looking around and it's new terrain. My baby just turned 13. It's new terrain. I've been in middle school madness nightmare for years. And now I've got teenagers and we're looking at high school and we're starting to think about college. And it's new terrain. And rather than cowering back in fear, I want to encourage you moms that if you find yourself there, know that God wants you to operate in his equipping in a place of authority because he's called you to be there. He has handpicked you to be the mother of your child. I believe there's some moms here tonight who need to hear that. It is not a mistake. It was not an oversight. There was not a room of like bad kids that God didn't know who to put with, right? Or bad moms who he didn't know what kids to put with. He handpicked by his design, standing outside of time, looking at all of the children that there are to parent. And he selected your child's life for you to be that child's parent. God has handpicked that child to be yours. I don't know about you, but that is authorizing to me as a mom when I feel lost. That God, this, that God has handpicked this child to be mine and for me to be their mother. That we are a team that is perfectly and divinely designed, put together by God. And then what I realize is that God is gonna speak to me and talk to me and equip me to how to raise this child. I'm not in this thing by myself. That God is going to give me what I need to raise this child. And so, moms, I would ask you, do you have an expectation that God is going to speak to you about how to raise your child? Whatever your child needs, whatever you're facing with your child, whether they're young or whether they're old, do you have an ongoing life expectation that God is going to speak to you and that you're going to be able to speak with authority because it comes from the throne room of God. Not a book, not something you read, but that God is going to give you fresh insight, unique ideas, out-of-the-box ways that are going to 
come alongside of your child in whatever season of life they're in and is going to bring instruction, it's going to bring love, and it's going to launch them into the person that they're supposed to be. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I think about a God who loves me so uniquely, he then equips me with the tools I need and gives me the authority to do the job that he's called me to do. The second outflow of God's unique love for my life, in addition to being uniquely equipped, is that I begin to grow in the revelation that I am uniquely designed. Say uniquely designed. I am uniquely designed to carry the weight of my burden. Matthew 11.30, it says, For my yoke fits perfectly, and the burden that I give you is light. There's a couple implications from this scripture. The first is that, dang, it's here, I'll carry a burden, right? That you're going to carry a burden, each one of us. And number two, that I was custom designed to carry this burden. This is not a burden that will break me. This is not a burden that I have to be victimized by. But this is a burden that I was actually designed to carry, and I will thrive in doing so. Isn't that beautiful? That's amazing, We get into trouble, I believe, as moms, as women, as people, when we begin looking at other people's design and other people's burden, don't we? We say, if only I had her design, right? Her education, her upbringing, her whatever it is, her career, her husband, her body, her name it, fill in the blank. We waste so much time thinking about if our design was different, but God has designed you exactly the way you are. Custom designed to carry the weight of your burden. And what I'm learning as I'm getting older is that the the weight of my burden, the thing that I long to throw off sometimes and just be rid of, is actually ending up being the very thing that is bringing purpose to my life. I find that fascinating. I, I want to grow in that understanding more. I'm, I'm, I, just, I, I feel like I just wanted to throw that out there for somebody. But the best analogy of this truth of your design and your burden for me is boating. We love boating. Fred's been preaching about rest. And for our family, that's one of the ways we invest in rest. We love to go out a day on the boat. You feel like you're away from everything. And, and so we have a little boat. And, you know, we can fit about 10 people on our boat. And we can fit enough Gatorade and water and sunscreen and lots of snacks, a lot of really good snacks on the boat. But when we're at capacity... You know, when Fred has to get the anchor in at the front, we all kind of have to shift. You know, there's just enough room for us and whatever family has come or friends are with us. And, and that's what our boat is designed for, for wakeboarding and, you know, and, and kneeboarding and all that fun stuff. Now, by basic definition, a boat is a vessel that floats on water. Would we all agree with that? So if I go here down to Newport News Naval Shipyard, I'm also going to encounter other vessels that float on water, specifically Let's talk about an aircraft carrier, yes? Now, those boats, that specific boat, is designed to carry upwards of 6,000 people. Many of us would say a floating city, right? Like, we have trouble getting enough water and snacks on board our boat for a day. They're prepared to feed 18,000 meals a day. I can't even get my brain around the pantry of that boat, right? Like, like they have several decks and nuclear reactors. It stows 83 aircraft on board. That is a boat that has a very specific design and purpose. And nobody in here in their right mind would compare 
the function of our boat, what we do on our boat, you know, um, it's really lame that you guys, um, you know, can only feed people for a few hours on your boat, you know, if we went on the aircraft carrier, it's 18,000 meals a day, you know, or if you were on the aircraft carrier, it's really lame that you can't wakeboard behind the aircraft carrier, you know, um, you know, you can't do 360s and get air on your, you know, board, it's, they're designed for something different, does that make sense, right, we, we understand that, we get that, we don't question that, your life is a working vessel designed for a purpose that's unique to what God has called you to do and to be. And we waste so much time and energy bemoaning the design that God's made us for, right? The burden that we've been called to carry. And I believe that when I begin to understand that because of God's unique love for me, there can be an understanding and a revelation that he has uniquely designed me. A couple of things happen. The first is that I stop comparing and I start living a life that's fully in the assignment that God has designed for me. And I'll tell you what, there's no better way to live. There's no better way to live. Let me read you out of Hebrews 12 verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off, moms, everything, dads, parents, brothers, sisters, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, each one of us, that we, we, we put laser focus on. We set aside those sins. We set aside the distraction, the comparison, the what if, the what now. And I look at where God, what God's made me to be, and it gives me a focus that, that what do I do? I fix my eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes not on anything else, but on Jesus. When I begin to live this way, I begin to serve my purpose. Because all of a sudden, I'm a bit able to focus on the very thing that God has designed me for. The very reason that I'm carrying that burden. The second thing that it does is it creates an I can do it attitude, an all in attitude to what God's called you to do. One of my favorite scriptures um, is when Mary is talking with the angel Gabriel in Luke 1. And I see this quality in Mary and I'm astounded. I can't wait to hang out with Mary in heaven. Do you have people that you want to like hang out with in heaven? She's one of them. A lot of people want to hang out with Mary, it's not novel. But We find that she had such an all-in attitude to this crazy plan that God had for her life. And we see in Luke 1, you know, she's just this young Jewish girl. She probably wasn't very educated. She probably had lived her whole life with the hope of having children and being married. And we'll give Joseph the benefit of the doubt that he was a good guy. And she was love and excited about marrying him, right? And they were engaged. And she's preparing for this. And, and she's so hopeful for her future, and we find her going about her business in Luke 1, and the angel Gabriel comes. And we know the end of the story, so it's so hard to read it without knowing that. But put yourself in her shoes for a minute. Mary finds herself talking, first of all, with an angel, hello. And then the angel is telling her crazy stuff. Like, there's going to be one born to you, and his name is the Messiah. She might not have been educated, but she certainly had studied the scriptures, and she knew who the Messiah was. Her entire culture was built around the coming of the Messiah. Her whole faith was based on this. And she starts asking questions and she starts exchanging with the angel Gabriel. And within just a few short questions and answers, and the answers from the angel weren't really answers. They were crazy talk about a virgin birth and oh my God, it's not like the answer to questions, right? Every answer he gave her was crazier and crazier. But yet at the end she said, 
be it to me. If you've said it, God, I'm all in. And she went off to embrace her mission. Read that exchange in Luke 1. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then she hurried off for her mission. I find that mind-boggling, that Mary was so sold out to God's call on her life that she was able to understand in that moment that God had designed her for something. And God, if you've said it, then I know it's the best for me. I'm all in. I'm your girl. And she went about her job. I don't know about you, but I want to have that kind of positioning of my life for the design and the burden that God has for my life. Because curveballs come. How many know curveballs come, right? How many of us have things in our life that are happening that we wouldn't have asked for? We have things happening with our children. We have things that we're facing that we would never have wanted. We would never have asked for. We would not have written them into our story, yet they're here. And when I begin to get a revelation of the fact that God is not surprised by this, he has designed me for this, I I spend so much less time asking why. And I begin to focus in on becoming a champion of the burden that gives my life purpose and fulfillment that God has made me for. The second thing that is a result of understanding that I'm uniquely designed by my creator is, 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 excuse me, the third facet of understanding this is our positioning before God. You are uniquely equipped, you are uniquely designed, and you are uniquely positioned. You are uniquely positioned. How many know that you are positioned in time and in history? Have you given much thought to that? It's interesting to think about. That a God who stands outside of time, I kind of think of time like a parade. And God is like the ultimate parade conductor, you know, and he can see the beginning and the end. And he's up there calling the shots and he sees time unfold before us. And he stands outside of it. And that he's positioned you and he's positioned me in a very specific place in that parade of time, in that story that he's writing. He's positioned me in my family. He's positioned me in my job and in my neighborhood and in my church. And this positioning of your life and time and space and relationships is by God's divine, divine design. How does this affect my mothering? When I understand that I'm uniquely positioned, the first thing that I find out is that it begins to bring eternal purpose to each circle of influence in my life. I understand that I am not randomly placed, but I am part of what God is at work doing in the world. You know, it's not a mistake that you and I, moms, are raising children in 2017. That's by God's design. That's by God's positioning. It's not a mistake that we're called to, um, to disciple our children in 2017. And can I just say that God is not intimidated by the sin of 2017? Can I just tell you that? little bully pulpit here, but I am so tired of hearing in the church about how decrepit our culture is and how broken and how much better it would have been 50 years ago. If you go back, the Bible says there is no sin except what is common to man. There's the same sin from the Garden of Eden till now. Sin is not worse. Sin is not more powerful now. The the blood of Jesus Christ is just as powerful over the sin of 2017 as it is over any other time period. If you, if you read about Sodom and Gomorrah, if you go back and study Roman culture or Greek culture, you have begin to get an understanding that sin is sin is sin, right? And so we don't have to be afraid of raising our kids in this time. 
God has not stepped off his throne and worried about the World Wide Web. He's not worried about internet pornography. He is not worried that every teenager has all of that in their pockets. He's still big enough. He's still powerful enough, right? I mean, otherwise, we'd be shrinking back. But God has positioned us in 2017 to raise our kids here, and he's going to equip us and design us for the task, and we're more than enough. We're more than able through him. It is by God's unique calling and positioning of my life that I find myself in this time. Let me read to you our job description. 1 Peter 2.9 out of the Message Bible. No matter what you do for a job, whether you're a mom, a dad, whether you're an architect, designer, whatever you do for a job, this is really our job description, and I love this. But you are the ones chosen by God. I like to put my name in these scriptures. But you, Vanessa, you put your name in. You are chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy person, God's instrument to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that he has made for you. I love that we get to, no matter what it is that we've been called to put our hand to do, whether it's mothering, whether it's something else, that this is actually the umbrella job description. That I, I've been called by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be holy before him, chosen to do his work, to speak out for him, no matter what I do every day, to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he's made for me. So this understanding of being uniquely positioned before the Lord as a result of his love for me helps bring eternal purpose to each circle of influence in my life. I begin to realize that I'm supposed to be a voice of the gospel of Jesus Christ in every circle, in my neighborhood, in my job, in my family, in my church. Everywhere he's put me begins to have eternal purpose, divine orchestrated, divinely orchestrated by God. The second thing that happens is I begin to invest with an intentionality that comes from a realization that I am raising the next generation of Christians. Have you thought about that? That God is telling a story. I just said this. He's unraveling this beautiful story, and he's invited us to play a little part, to be a part of that story. And we've been placed in that story You've been placed in that story, my family, my children, and we have a part to play. I could have been placed at any other time in history. God knew I needed air conditioning. He also knew I needed modern conveniences, and so he put me here now for a purpose. But you've been put here now for a purpose. It begs, it begs asking the question, are you aware of that? Have you given thought to the reality that each one of us, we're stewarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone has handed the baton to us, and we're handing the baton off. Esther 4.14, she had been called to do something very unique, very specific. She was in training for that. She was debriefing with her uncle Mordecai, and she asked him, in, in, or excuse me, she was telling him, I'm not sure I'm up for the task. I'm not sure I'm the girl for the job. I'm not sure. And he said to her, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief will arise from another place. I love that. Because God will find someone else, right? He'll find someone else. Mordecai was being real with her. He'll use somebody else. But Esther, Esther, who knows if perhaps you were not made for such a time as this. And I believe for each one of us as moms, 
God is saying to us, hey, if you keep quiet, I'll find deliverance and relief from someone else, but I really want to use you. Who knows if you weren't put in this generation, at this time in history, to be a voice for me, to bring deliverance and to bring relief. I know for me, I want to do that. How do I do that? How do you be a voice of deliverance and relief? Deuteronomy chapter 6, 7, it talks about teaching God's truth to the next generation. And it says, impress them on your children. This impress them. That's not something that happens once. It's over and over. Impress God's truth on them. Talk about it when you're sitting at home and when you're walking along the road. I don't walk enough, so we'll say driving around, okay? When we're sitting at home hanging out, when we're driving places, doing life, when you're lying down, relaxing, hanging out, watching movies, right? Being with your family. And when you're getting up, when you're taking care of things, when you're making life happen, the principle here is impress God's truth on the next generation. How? By talking about it as a regular part of your everyday life. I want to invite the band to come up, and, and as they do, I just, you know, our job as mothers is so much more than teaching life skills and a good work ethic and biblical morality, because it's all those things. It's all those things. But we are actually responsible to hand off the baton of the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the next generation. It's a huge responsibility. If you've ever had to run in a race, you know that um, the handing off of the baton is an important part. Did anyone run relay race in high school? I was, um, I was a cross-country runner, and I ran some of the longer track sports. But one season, someone got hurt, and I had to run in a relay race. And I had never done that before. And I was, you know, the third man. That's where they put the slowest person, right? And so, Vanessa, if you would just do us a favor of, of, of running in this race. And, and, and we'll do all the work, right? We'll get the first man is, if the fourth man's the strongest, then the first man's the next, and then the second man, and then the third man. If you could just help us not it in the hole if you could just hold our lead if you could just do that and I remember being like sure no problem I can do that and the running part wasn't the hard part it was the actual handing off the baton the handing off of the baton is where the race can fall apart if you've ever run a relay race and I believe that as moms we're in a relay race right we're handing off the baton of God's truth to the next generation moms dads grandparents the interesting thing when you're handing off the baton is that the runner that's handing off the baton, they don't slow down. They're not supposed to. They're supposed to be still going at full blast when they pass the next runner and they hand that baton off. And interestingly, the person catching it is actually supposed to be already moving. They're supposed to be about up to two-thirds speed. So the handoff can be really tricky. And I, the good news for us is the handoff to the next generation, it doesn't happen in a moment, right? No pressure. Everyone take a deep sigh of relief. Life lessons happen in a moment. Conversations happen in a moment. But the handoff of the truth of Jesus Christ to the next generation, that happens when we as moms live lives that are saturated with the truth that God uniquely loves us. And out of that unique love that we are both equipped by him for the job with the tools and the authority from him, that we are designed for the task. We don't need to be a victim of it. We can stop comparing and we can run with a laser focus that the very thing that he's created us for, we will get done. And that we are uniquely positioned, positioned in time, positioned in our families, positioned in history, that we have the opportunity 
to actually be part of the great story that God is telling. Amen? Will you stand with me? It's my prayer tonight. We're just going to return to a moment of worship, but it's my prayer tonight for each mom here that you would feel God coming to you and tapping you on the shoulder and just loving on you tonight, saying, I love you, I see you, I know you, and because of that, I'm going to equip you. You are designed by me. You're my girl. I've positioned you right where you're supposed to be. Let's just worship for a moment.